This is the Physical Activity Researcher Podcast, a podcast for researchers of sedentary behavior, physical activity, and sports. Join for a relaxed dialogue about research design, practicalities, and, well, anything related to research. Learn from your fellow researchers useful and relevant information that does not fit into formal content and limited space of scientific publications. And here is your host, researcher and entrepreneur, Ollie Tikkanen. Welcome, everyone. We are going to have a very interesting episode, and we have a super interesting guest for this episode. Earlier, our guest has been working as a physical therapist. Then he went to do his bachelor's and master's degree in Stellenbosch University in South Africa. From there, he went to do his PhD and postdoc in Leuven in Belgium, related to real-world biomechanical detection of fatigue, energy, and injury in runners using wearable trunk accelerometry. And now he is co-founder and CEO, CEO of RunEasy, company utilizing findings from his PhD and postdoc. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome our guest, Dr. Kurt Schütte. Welcome, Kurt. Thank you, Oli. Thank you for the very kind introduction. Yeah, nice to nice to have you. You said about expensive lab equipment and then very simple application. In your case, it's it's a single accelerometer worn on the waist. And I think many of the listeners know the accelerometer, but some some listeners probably don't. For example, if they are in physiotherapy and it's not they haven't used, they haven't seen the raw signal. So could you actually explain in the as as layman's term as you can that how can you with one sensor how can you actually measure forces how can you really get like different variables that are are really meaningful or useful for for a practice yeah sure so it all starts actually with the positioning of the sensor we know that we position it on the pelvis in the center of the pelvis where the on top of the sacrum and where that, that position is really is is is, is close to the, the body's center of mass. And from center of mass motion during running, we have a lot of insights that we can get. And we know that the center of mass is, is, is can be related to both kinetic and kinematics. So when we're talking about the actual sensor, we're looking at triaxial accelerometry. So we're measuring accelerations in three axes. And if you transfer that to what we know about the anatomical reference system of the body, it means that you can get vertical, a vertical acceleration. It means that you can get mediolateral acceleration. And it means that you can get anterior-posterior acceleration. And that each, each axis tells a different story about human movement and about how you're walking or how you're running. And, or how you, for example, sidestepping. It's, it tells, for example, we know that from what inspired us about using the sensor in the, on the lower back was the early research that was done on walking walking gait analysis. And we saw that uh, the studies there showed that, for example, mediolateral acceleration and the variability, or the amplitude of those accelerations of the center of mass wobbling from side to side re- reflects the control, the neuromuscular control component of ambulatory or gait analysis so what is that telling us so we know that you know 
if you were to balance on one leg, you have sensor, often often center of pressure is used. But what they showed there is if you place a sacral sensor, you can also look at center of mass movement and how that was uh, already some very interesting clinical findings looking at neuromuscular uh, pa patients with muscular, neuromuscular control issues or diseases, whether it be Parkinson's or whether it be stroke or multiple sclerosis. The insights there was, okay, there is a clinical link to neuromuscular control in the cl purely clinical context. But what about in the athletic context? We know that neuromuscular control is super important in highly dynamic sports as well. And, and strength, and the research is showing strength can only get you so far, but can, can you control, if you can control your body and use it in a, and move it in, the, in a coordinated manner, then you can also improve your performance and reduce your injury risk. So there we identified, okay, there's a, immediate lateral component tells you something about control and stability. I mean, what, and, and that's where we, we uh, research a lot of different types of statistical measures or uh, you could say biomechanical measures that can either indicate how consistent you are, your stability from step to step or from stride to stride, or how much variability or amplitude there is in side to side. Um, or, uh, you know, there's, there's a measure called sample entropy. So, for example, how predictable are you from one step to the next? Because it's good to have a certain amount of variability in your, in your pattern. Um, without going into two technical terms, but multiple, lots of degrees of freedom means that you have lots of, lots of options to explore your gait so you can adapt to your environment. Whereas when there is a disease or is an, an injury, we tend to, to be fixated or stiff and limit the amount of options that we, the way in which we walk or, or adapt our strides. And that's, those become clinical markers of diseases, but can also be for uh, athletics or for running. Um, and that's where the first study we conducted, we noticed that when we subject runners to fatigue, and in a laboratory, you can do this quite effectively uh, by making, making a runner run at a pace that's at their what we call anaerobic threshold. So just where they feel like this is, this is really uh, too much, uh, a really difficult pace to maintain. We push them a little bit higher than that and we go, ask them to run as, as long as they can until they reach a perceived fatigue level, a rate, rating of perceived exertion, RPE, of at least 16 or 17 out of 20. And then we noticed very quickly in that mediolateral component that maintaining stability and coordination is extremely difficult when we start fatiguing and becoming uncomfortable and the muscular the neuromuscular fatigue sets in so we thought okay well yes this this can be an indication for identify it can be a useful measure of fatigue and therefore uh helping runners identify when they're losing their form or losing their control over their bodies which means that they might subject their their body to different or uh, malaligned forces uh, forces that are not directed in the right direction. Um, and then that's that's what brought on the next idea. Well, of course, we're measuring in the vertical direction. And the deceleration of the center of mass can tell you how well you're absorbing the impact shocks. Ultimately, when you're looking at acceleration, and because we can measure it at such a high sampling frequency, so we're looking at a 1,000 times per second, we can, we can capture those instantaneous rapid changes in accelerations that happen of the center of mass. And that is how uh, we measured impact or impact shock waves. 
and uh, found really, really good correlations with uh, the gold standard as we know it is ground reaction forces. And we could explain at least 80% of the vertical ground reaction force, the peak ground reaction force, just by looking at this, this peak impact, uh, peak impact shock wave. So that's where we combined a little bit of each. Um, and what we're doing now, for example, is looking at not just walking or running, but we're looking at uh, deceleration. We know that in team sports, if you look at rugby, you look at hockey, you look at uh, American football, you look at football, being the ability to decelerate is really, really crucial. It's becoming more and more, and yeah, realize how important it is to be able to slow your body down and change direction quickly enough that you can be ready for the next the next performance or the next the next situation, but also do it in a way that you don't uh, plant your foot and realize too late that your foot is planted and uh, there's nothing you can do about it and your center of mass is over your knee and then you yeah you tear your ACL or you tear your your knee ligaments. So both from injury risk as well as performance, uh, that's where we decided we 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 discovered that the, the anterior posterior direction, so the horizontal component going forward, and allows us to capture the braking forces, the braking accelerations. And we have some really interesting case studies that we're uh, that we're looking at now. Some some athletes that are returning from from anterior cruciate ligament tears and reconstructions, and how they are unable to break properly they, 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 they it's it's a it's a protective gait pattern so compensation strategy and you compare that to a healthy athlete where they can really get big hard and and consecutive breaking so that they the the eccentric contractions of, of of the upper upper thighs are able to withstand the high breaking loads and enable them to change direction quickly and so what we see is that in these um, these athletes that they're unable to do to decelerate and unable to generate these anterior posterior types of forces so and this is all from a sensor that's placed on on the sacrum a single sensor uh, but of course it's measuring in three directions so like I said, each each axis component can give you different levels of insights, even though it's all from the same, you know, the same same house sensor, you could say. Yeah, I, I think that's a really good point. Many people ask when you have this kind of different accelerometer solutions, but I I have it in my phone, but yeah, but the phone yeah. <laughs> phone is in your hand. What what is it measuring? It's sometimes in your loose pocket. It's sometimes it's in different places, or or if you Think smart. What's it's on the wrist, and the wrist is moving independently. And most people, when they do some activity, they are actually using their legs. So it doesn't really yes. make sense to measure it from the arm when the arm is moving independently. So yeah, the location is very important. And with the sacrum center of mass, it doesn't move independently. We don't have joints. Or well, we have joints <laughs> there, but they they move so little yes, that that yes. it actually gives like good information. And you said wobbling, which is kind of sideways movement that we can measure. We can measure the deceleration forces and those both in in fatigue state. How how would you then translate these into? You already said some things. What are kind of the injury mechanisms? For example, decelerative forces or accelerations that what kind of problems it is 
causing and what do you do then to overcome those those ones yeah so what we see is uh yeah there's two ways of looking at it um what we know is that there's either a bottom-up approach or there's a top-down approach and of course we're measuring in the, in the middle of the body at the center of mass but what we know is that for example uh, if you look at a top-down approach you can have uh, a weakness you can have a weak glute, glute minimus so glute, glute stabilizing muscles which can create valgus forces at the knee which can go all the way through down and create an overuse or different tensions on different structures and cause injuries of, for example, the front of the knee, the anterior knee. It can create uh, a medial tibial stress syndrome. Uh, it can create plantar fasciitis. A lot, of the, a lot of these overuse, overload type of injuries can be top down. And of course, because we're measuring those pelvic kinematics, what we often see is that when there is a weakness, especially on one side, and by the way, the, because the sensor is placed in the center of the pelvis, our algorithms can also detect a left step versus a right step and how we decelerate left versus right. And often injuries are brought on unilaterally on one side of the body. And because, and because of that, we can then look for identify specific um, weaknesses. But first looking at the weak link in terms of is is there more wobbliness as we were saying more instability on one when you land on one leg than the other and if there is where where is this issue coming from is this is there a is there a strength deficit is a is there a, a muscle deficit coming and you can then do you know, supportive testing musculoskeletal testing for testing ab, hip abductive strength or you can you can do musculoskeletal testing of a single leg squat um, in a static environment or semi-dynamic environment to identify things like that and then link it back to the injuries. Um, and, and so that would be like a top-down approach. And uh, a, bo a bottom-up approach would be, you know, if you're looking at, uh, often it's the chicken and the egg when you're looking at gait analysis. It's, it is, you could say, in some sense, not the holy grail of understanding gait analysis, but we chicken and the egg, what I mean by that is, when you're measuring someone's gait in a in a one snapshot on one day, any mo moment in time, are you you could be measuring either the 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 movement pattern that is slowly developing over time that is causing as a risk factor for that injury. For example, if you are overstriding, so if you if your 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 foot is landing in front of your body center too far in front of your center of mass. That can cause additional forces in the, uh, in the knees, and uh, that can yeah that that movement pattern can be reflected in in the pelvis, and that can then or create a, a deceleration or extra instabilities or or additional vertical um, impact forces, and that could be causing the injury, but in the very same breath, that that movement pattern could be the result of having a previous injury so it could be a compensation a pain avoidance or pain type of strategy so one of the crucial questions is always is is linking it to the history of that patient or that athlete and, and really understanding are we right now looking at a, a compensation from a previous injury or are we actually looking at something that's 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 under the radar that's insidiously creeping up a movement pattern that is that is that is gradually going to become an injury for you, and you should watch out. So these mechanisms of injuries are often, you know, in cycles, and 
then what we see is, as we know, the highest predictor of most overuse injuries is having a previous injury. <laughs> so, and it's, it's one of the, the most com common findings of all our all the literature that we see. And uh, relapses and, and recurring injuries come in cycles and cycles again. So ultimately, you want to stop that cycle from continuing. But that's where it gets really interesting is looking at the kinematics. And what, do you, what do you see and how does it relate to what we're measuring? and uh, of the center of mass motion and without having to draw angles or to you know look do comprehensive kinematic analysis no we we can we can see a lot of things are changing often for example a recreational runner might have very very bad trunks trunks way so they are not using the arms effectively they they are for example over over swinging crossing their body and what does that do? That creates excessive trunk, trunk sway, excessive uh, shoulder rotations. And what does that cause? Well, then the inability to maintain pelvic stability. And so there the injury mechanism, it could just be something as silly and something as small of, of not controlling your arms while you're running. And uh, that's why part of the mechanisms and part of the solution actually to fixing a lot of these gait problems is 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 looking for specific cues or movement um, uh, uh, movement cues. It's a ways of explaining or saying, like for example, try not to break the. If the, imagine there was a glass sheet in the middle line of your body, and try not to let your hand smash that glass while you're running. Um, to try and explain to the athlete or to the to the patient that, um, in a, in a, in a very layman's terms, how to correct their motor pattern, fix the motor pattern fix the, the bad habits that you've been ingraining step after step after step. You think about it, it can be, you know, tens of thousands of running steps per running session we go out for. It accumulates so quickly. Uh, and that motor pattern gets reinforced every single time. Um, and, and that's why it's important to start identifying, well, is this something that we can correct purely uh, through a cue? And then we see that the, the pelvic stability improves. Um, or is it something that requires real exercise intervention as a physical therapist? Yeah, I, I think very interesting points. And when you said that the previous injury predicts the next one, I have with, with myself, I have had like a couple of knee injuries like Osgood-Sclater's disease and and jumper's knee. So if I, if I, if I go with the midfoot heel running, I start to feel it quickly on my on my knees but then i have also had some plantar fasciitis so if i go with yeah. the forefoot running then it's <laughs> it's also like so i'm kind of balancing that if if something starts to feel painful yeah. i i change my shoes so i get the higher heel drop so then i can get yeah. the loading from plantar fasciitis and and also achilles and i can kind of play around with those how do you how do you go with the kind of for example, heel strike, how do you detect from your system signal? How do you see it? How do you see when it's good? What are the clear indicators of good running technique and what, what are the bad bad indicators? Yeah, yeah. So that's a fantastic question. So how, how do we see it? Well, what we essentially are doing, we're measuring the outputs. So the quality of the movement or the quality of the impact or the magnitude of the impact or the quality of the stability. What, what's up to the user or the physical therapist is to know how each individual responds the best 
for example, to the foot strike or to the different types of shoes. What we what we notice, especially, so yeah, we even the studies where we in my PhD we could see that statistically on a group level we see, you know, overall we see that there's a there's a there's a statistical p value of zero point zero five, and the group as a whole has slightly improved when you switched from you know real foot strike to full foot strike for example, um, but then we look at the individual data. Each subject had different responses. Some really responded positively, some slightly positive, some no response at all, so flatlining, so whether they switched from one to the next, there were no changes. And others, a few of them would all, it would even go down. Even if it's just one, think about it. If you're dealing with a patient and they are that one person that is responding adversely to that intervention, do oh, how do how do we how do we feel confident in giving prescribing that type of foot strike pattern switch? Do we do are we willing to take that risk? So how we see it now is is we have we provide the tools to get objective data on the outputs. And similar, if you think of the concept of reverse engineering, if you know the answer and we can figure out some of the mechanisms, and we know the inputs, and now we know, for example, is we tr trying different foot strike patterns trying different shoes, we can very quickly, and this is the benefit of being it being an wearable technology, is that you can design it as, an, as a mini experiment. You, you're actually designing real-time experiments to quickly assess what works for you and what doesn't work for you. We have some super, super cool studies or case studies, you could say, of, uh, you know, of triathletes, of marathon runners, of starter runners that come with maybe two or three pairs of shoes. For example, the other day we tested a triathlete, a veteran triathlete, and he had his um, traditional running shoes, cushioned running shoes, and then he had recently bought uh, a carbon carbon fiber plated running shoe that uh, provides the yeah, the suggestion or the claim that you actually it's better for performance and you actually can get energy recoil and be a more efficient runner. And we tested him on the track with uh, with our RunEasy device and and these objective measurements. And what we could see is at all speeds, his uh, carbon fiber plate actually improved his efficiency. He's, he was a lot more stable runner. So he, if you were to do an extrapolation, so we have we've had done a, a study where there was I think 2.8 to 3 percent improvement in uh, running economy. For, for every unit change in uh, dynamic stability. So there's a there's a, an energetic cost associated with how stable you are as a runner. And he was able to improve his dynamic stability with these carbon fiber plates. So if the goal and if the story was performance, then it's a no-brainer which shoes he should use in his races. But if you also taking into account the kinetics or the impact shock forces that we were measuring, the vertical, we saw a dramatic increase in the forces um, on his body. And not just the not just the magnitude, but we also look at that duration. You know, from the moment the foot hits the ground until that impact peak is generated, is that you know a couple of milliseconds, you know, during weight acceptance, that tells you how well you are able to absorb those forces, how quickly does it travel through. And when he switched to the carbon fiber uh, shoes, he actually the, the, the shock wave traveled much faster, the duration was quick. So if you're thinking of using those shoes for training, you know, high training volume uh, or switching quickly, 
you know, you know, the common training errors that we often see when maybe people in the past have switched from, you know, running on asphalt to running on the beach and trying to do the same mileage or same distance and getting new injuries, Achilles pain or calf pain. You being able to maintain those tra- those high training loads at, 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 at you know at, with with different biomechanical consequences is looking for trouble. Uh, and there, in there, the, you know the the no brainer was okay. Well, wait a minute. Um, perhaps these shoes are not the best ones I should train in, or at least if I want to train on them, I should start switching gradually between my shoes and not do a complete switch over and hope for the best uh, because my forces on my body are much higher. And either I need to reduce my training, which I don't feel like doing, because then I reduce my, my physiological um, stimulus, uh, or I ease into these pairs of shoes. Um, and so there, in that case, when you're looking at that pair of shoes, the same thing goes for foot strike pattern. If uh, what we see is that each individual has a very natural or unnatural way of running or landing with the strike. Um, and what we can see there is that the impact can be changed based on, uh, yeah, based on the uh, how you land on your heel, or your midfoot, or your forefoot. Um, so that really helps to identify: is this something that could be good for me, or or is this something that I should be careful about? Um, and always linking it to how it feels. Like you say, you feel it sometimes more in the, the knees when you go on your rear foot, and then. You feel the plantar fasciitis on the forefoot and, and alternating between the two um, and identifying how that modulates your impact. Thanks for joining us this week on Physical Activity Research Podcast. If you like the show, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing or following the show on Twitter. This podcast is made possible by listeners like you. Thank you for your support. If you found value in the show, we would really appreciate a rating on Apple Podcast or whichever app you use. Or if you would, in a real old school way, simply tell a friend about the show. It would be a great help for us. We have a fantastic lineup of guests for forthcoming episodes, so be sure to tune in. Thank you all for your support and have a great day.